0: Well, we are finishing up this three-part series. He's still got the whole world in his hands today. And I'd like to begin right off the top by teaching you a verse. It's from Psalms, Psalms 20, Psalms thirty-three, twenty-two. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, as we put our hope in you. So, read it along with me, please. we will put it on the screen for you. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So, all right? Good. Now we're going to take it off the screen and we're going to see how you're doing. I'll say it and you can mumble along with me, okay? Ready? Just repeat after me. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we put our hope in you. Good. All together, without any coffee in your hands, one more time. Are you ready? Together. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. There's hope for you yet. And I want to go eyes up with you today and focus on hope. Specifically, I want to talk about a tension that all of us have faced. Uh, are facing or will face as it relates to hope. It's the tension of trying to maintain hope in what seems to be a hopelessly broken world. So how do you maintain hope in a world that at times seems to be hopelessly broken? Now let me throw out some scenarios uh, just because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're all thinking along the same lines. So if you have ever placed your hope in something or someone that something came crashing down or that someone leaves, then you understand this tension. How do we maintain hope in a world that seems at times to be hopelessly broken? If you stood at an altar and you said at one time, until death do us part, and then he or she decided it wasn't going to be until death, it it, it was going to be until somebody else came along and your marriage came crashing down around you and you felt that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Well, you understand what it means to try and manage this question. How do you maintain hope? How do you maintain love? How do you maintain hope in people? How do you maintain hope in relationships in what seems to be a hopelessly broken world? And if you were promised something at work, or, and you did your part. In fact, you went the second mile. Um, you did it, and, and someone didn't come through for you. And your hopes were in that job, that advancement, that opportunity, that move. And you found yourself with this sense of despair, and you think, ah, why even try? You know what it means to face that kind of tension to manage the tension of how do I maintain hope in what at times seems to be a hopelessly broken world. You had aspirations for your son or your daughter and they got they got hooked up they got mixed up with the wrong crowd and now they're everything other than what you had hoped for them. You can't go back you, you can't re give them their teenage years. You can't go back and give them their first year in college. And you look at them and you think, it, it just seems hopeless. You're managing the tension. How do you maintain hope in what seems to be a hopelessly broken world? And if you've not found yourself managing this tension yet, well, just get ready because it's coming. So, aren't you glad you tuned into church today for this super encouraging message? But if you found yourself saying, why try? Why, why even go on? Why study? Why apply myself? Why, why even show up? If you've ever said that out loud or in your head or in your heart, what's the point? What's the point of loving when people treat you that way? What's the point of committing? when other people's commitments don't mean anything? What's the point in investing in a company when the company doesn't seem to want to invest any time or years into you? I mean, if, you, if you've ever found yourself saying, what's the point, what's the use? Well, then you've bumped into that inevitable question that everybody will ask. How do you maintain Why maintain hope in a world that seems to be so hopelessly broken? So all of that stuff is why I want to invest in you and in your hope today. Now, as we launch into this discussion, I want to give you a working definition of hope. And this is sort of a a culmination and a distillation of several different definitions from several different people. So, yeah, it's just a working definition. You know, don't quote me on this part. Hope is the person or the thing in which your expectations are centered. The person or persons or thing or things in which your expectations for the future or your expectations for now are centered. These are the things that you are leaning into. All right. These are the things that uh, as you look into the future, your hope is in that. Your hope is in that relationship. Your hope is in that group of relationships. Your hope is in that company. Your hope is in this profession. Your hope is in your ability. Your hope is in your looks. Your hope is, in, you've, you've centered your expectations in something. Hope is a little bit like a ladder that we lean against a wall. And none of us ever remember doing this, okay? None of us are ever conscious of this process, but when you were born, you automatically leaned the ladder of hope into your parents or your parent. Your, your hope for your future had everything to do with your parents' willingness, your parents' ability to care for you. It wasn't a conscious decision. As, as you got older, you began to move your ladder away from what somebody else and their commitment for you, and perhaps you were able to move it to your ability to care for yourself, your ability to connect, your ability to get a scholarship, to do well in school, to maintain your relationships, your ability to attract positive attention, your ability to marry somebody who had promise, family money, whatever it was. But all of us, from time to time, different stages of our life, we make decisions to lean the ladder of hope onto something that we think will support our ambition or support our aspirations or our hopes and dreams for the future. And we've never been aware of this, but when you sat down to engage, even in church online today, even as you did that, you have placed your hopes in something. Your ladder is leaning against a wall somewhere, but because we're unaware of it, we go through life unaware Of what we're hoping for and the only time we ever think about hope is when we begin to feel hopeless and that sense of hopelessness and despair or or helplessness that's another word simply that feeling that that uh the thing that i've leaned my ladder against isn't coming through for me it's that thing that i centered my expectations in and it's not meeting my expectations well it's just not going to happen for me what I guess we're not going to have children when we thought. I'm going to be 30-something, and, 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 and am I still going to be single? I'm not going to be able to retire when I thought I would be able to retire. Nobody's calling. Nobody's answering the phone. It's only when the thing that we leaned our hope, our ladder against, doesn't come through for us that we begin to experience and think about the whole subject of hope. Otherwise, we just go day to day and our ladder's leaning somewhere and we're totally unaware. It's only when we begin to experience the free fall. It's only when we bump up against the tension of, well, how do I remain hopeful? How do I go on? How do I keep trying? Why do I keep investing? It's only then that we realize that we've leaned our ladder up against something that's not as secure as we thought it should be. And all of you today, all all of us today, right, we have a ladder of hope, and it's leaning up against something. The question is, how do you maintain hope in a world that, uh, if you haven't discovered it yet, you will discover it eventually. Our world is, in fact, hopelessly broken. Now, When you take the time, when you open up your Bible, and I'll tell you, right, this is such preacher talk, all right? This isn't going to take you by surprise, but when you open your Bible and you go to the very beginning of the Old Testament and you go all the way to the end of the New Testament, uh, we are instructed to place our hope in God, to put our hope in God, to lean our ladder against the God who has invited us to call Him Father and to lean our ladder of hope for all of our hopes into our relationship with Him. And so, the verse that we were reading a few minutes ago, that verse, well, that would be a great verse for you to memorize. Something to come back to. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope. That is, move my ladder, place my ladder, lean my ladder against you. So, the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, is talking to a young guy named Timothy, his protege. And he said in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17, Hey, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is just so uncertain, to which we, in our current economy, say, Amen, or right on. Uh, Yeah, you got that right. But he continues, but to put their hope in God. That is to move their ladder from the wall of if I save enough, if I work hard enough, if I jump high enough, if I follow through enough that somehow it's all just going to work out for me. Paul said, tell even the wealthiest, the most successful people, be careful. Don't lean your ladder there. Lean your ladder on God. And then he finishes the verse off. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, of course, you would expect a preacher to say that, right? And of course you would expect the different biblical authors to say stuff like that. But even if you've been a Christian for a long time, perhaps it's been your whole life that you've believed in this stuff. Or or maybe, on the other side, maybe you're new to this. All of us in Canada, we have a a really hard time with the idea of putting our hope in the Lord, or putting our hope in God. And the reason we do is because we are the best in the world at creating walls that hold up fairly well. Because we believe, and we have been told, and understandably so, we believe that if we have the right education, the ladder is going to hold. And if you're good looking enough, the latter is going to hold. And if you have the right surgery and you have the right connections and you marry well and you save well and you're, you're disciplined and if you eat right and if you exercise well and, he, and you stay off the drugs and you just say no and all the themes and all the sayings and all the billboards and all that stuff. If you do all of that right, And if you're really careful and if you're really slick and if you're really connected and and you do it all right, there is certainly something in this world that you can lean your hope up against that is going to hold. And so we do everything in our power to put our hope in things that we control, things that we create, things that we manufacture, things that we've been told we should put our hope in in hopes that the ladder will hold. And then if you're a Christian, <laughs> then if you're a Christian, just for good luck, you say stuff like, Dear God, please don't let my ladder fall. God, please help this company, uh, help it to go public. God, I want to put my trust and my hope in these things, and Heavenly Father, give me the wisdom as I spin the dial and I try to figure out where to invest my money. God, I'm putting my hope in this. Please help her to call me back. God, I think I found a solid place to learn, to lean my ladder, and I want you to help me out. I want you to make it work. I want you to come through for me. I want this to work. I want this to be in the future, a safe place for me to lean. I want it to be secure. God, make my hope secure. And God says through Scripture and through wise people, there are people that you know today, maybe they're a little bit older, maybe they're wiser, and they've been there and they've done that. And they lived life long enough to know that, they say, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how careful you are, I don't care how connected you are, I don't care what, what you know, at some point in life you will realize you live, and it's the bad news before the good news, we live in a hopelessly broken world. And you can try, and you can be careful, And you can plan and you can invest well and you can get a great education but at some point in your life you're going to begin to recognize that nothing no nothing no nothing is secure in this world and thus God says to you and he says to me, hey you got to do all this stuff but don't put your hope there. Prepare well, prepare wisely but trust in God. So today I want to walk us through a few really confusing verses, okay? So I'm telling you in advance that these verses will probably seem confusing. It's not just you, all right? Paul just wrote it in a confusing way, and it's the letter to the church in Rome. So Romans chapter eight is where we're gonna go, so I want you to crack open your Bible, open your Bible app on your telephone, and through the magic of technology, soon, not right now, but soon we'll put these on the screen as well. But I want you to have access to the full context. Paul explains where our hope should be, and this will come as no surprise, right? But more importantly, for our discussion at least, Paul explains the futility for any of us to lean our ladder against our ability to control or to predict the future, to lean our ladder against anything, and that anything to do with the temporary nature of this world is problematic. And in making this case, it's a little bit negative, all right? And I've got to warn you about that. But at the end, he does come around and he says, this is why it's so important for you, for me, to begin to put our hope in God alone. So we're going to begin with verse 20. And I'm going to tell you what verse 20 means before I show it to you, okay? So if you think, wow, uh, that was kind of confusing, or I think you skipped some parts, I'm going to skip through these verses, all right? I'm telling you that up front. If you get frustrated or you get mad, well, that's good. So go to your study chair, and I dare you to get your Bible out and read it all for yourself. That's a win, um, even if it's just to prove me wrong. So just go ahead, maybe tomorrow morning, uh, start with Romans 8, 20, And read back through all these verses on your own and fill in the gaps where I skip over some of these things because this is all so rich Uh, and and it's so relevant to where we are today as a culture and and when you think about what's going on in our world. Okay, so here's what he says in verse 20. Before I show you what he says, I'm going to tell you what it says, right? So we'll look at it together, but here's the deal. He goes back and he draws on an event in the book of Genesis that is typically referred to as the fall of man. It's a story about where sin enters the world. Now, you may not believe in sin and for right now that's fine, but you do know that bad things happen in the world and so we're together on that. But when we think about sin, we usually think about an incident like that one that you're thinking about, the bad things go in the world and we call that sinful. Or If you're in my business, it's so funny because people often say, "Uh, Graham, do you think that uh, such and such is a sin? Do you think this is a sin? And and basically, what they're saying is, uh, is it okay for me to do that? And they don't say that, right? But do you think this is a sin? Because we have been thinking of sin as something that you do, it's an incident, and then we have an incident report. But Paul here is pulling back the camera a little bit, a lens, and getting an even larger view. He views sin here as a disease, perhaps a virus that's toxic and fatal when sin entered the world. It entered the world as a fatal disease and it impacted everything, relationships, creation, the relationship between people and creation, the animal kingdom, the weather, absolutely everything. That everything in the world was impacted by sin. It's a disease that has infiltrated the entire creation, and it's fatal. Which means, according to Genesis, that everything living eventually dies. So, have you noticed that everything living eventually dies? And <coughs> you say, "Well, that's just a, that's the circle of life, right?" I saw the movie, you know, The Lion King. Ha, then they figure that whole thing out, and that's a view. That's part of the story, but Genesis. The scripture teaches, and Jesus, he also affirmed him, Then Paul also affirmed the reason everything in the world dies is because sin has polluted and corrupted everything. And that is the basis for his argument, and that is always a bad decision to put your hope in the things that pertain to this world, okay? That's what he means. So now let me show you the verse that we're going to jump through um, together, starting with verse 20. He says, for creation was subjected to frustration. Whenever you're frustrated, it's because of sin. Your sin, somebody else's sin, it's sin. Do you know that? The reason that your experience in this world can be so frustrating, you go, why won't my kids? And why won't my mom? And why won't my boss? And why can't people just give me uh, a chance? And why don't people see the world the way I see it? And I'm so Frustrated. Paul says, welcome to the real world, all right? Because sin entered the world. God has made the decision, and I'm telling you, if you can just remember this, this will help uh, you understand so many of the circumstances in life. God has allowed sin to run its course. When sin entered the world, God said, I'm gonna let it go like a wave. I'm gonna, uh, it's, gonna it's gonna touch everything It's going to impact everything. It's going to corrupt everything. Paul says the creation was subjected to frustration. That sin is going to run its course. So we're uh, middle of verse 20. For sin, uh, for the creation was subjected to uh, frustration. So you skip a little. In hope, there's our word, that the creation itself will be, future tense, liberated from its, and look at this phrase, okay? Bondage to decay. This means that everything in your world, in the world, is decaying. And you know that to be the case, right? When you reach a certain age, every time you go past the mirror, you go, whoa, what was that? Right? That right there, that's the bondage to decay. That's what that is. You've got some decay going on right there. You go, something is wrong with me. You go, nope. It's the bondage to decay. And maybe it's kind of funny, and it's not very encouraging, but this is the case that he's building. Everything is decaying, including your relationships, including your wealth, including your health. Everything ultimately has the ring and the stink, the smell of death and decay. But now, because we live in North America, we're thinking, by golly, I'm not going to decay. I'll get surgery. I'm going to get educated. And you know, I got good genes. And you know, people think I kind of look young for my age. And you know, I'm going to study hard and I'm going to be careful. And maybe you think, as I thought when I was like, I don't know, seven or eight. Well, if it's such a problem, well, well, then I'm just not going to get old then. And you work hard against it. But at the end of the day, we are in bondage to decay. This is amazing. In 1997, Mother Teresa died. What? Mother Teresa? Well, she can't die. Look at all the good things that she did. And as much good as she did in the world, do you know what happened to the body that she used to do that good? Her holy, amazing, full-of-service sacrifice, intimidatingly pure and hard-working, awesome body that housed her amazing brain and her compassion for people. Do you know what happened to her body? It died. Hey, If Mother Teresa couldn't beat the odds, if she couldn't find a workaround, if she couldn't win, if she couldn't talk God out of it, if she couldn't beat the system, I got some bad news for you and for me too. Paul says, and you know from experience, we live in a world that's in bondage. It's in bondage to decay, and God, he's going to let sin run its course. And it touches everything. It touches everything. Why does it have to end this way? You go, News flash. Because when sin entered the world, it messed up every single thing. It touches every single thing. We live in a world of decay. I hope this is uh, going to go somewhere a little happier, Graham. You go. Hang in there, okay? Don't give up. Happy. Is nearby. But here's the thing. The reason that we lean our ladder up against the wrong wall is because we don't really believe that. We believe that we can beat the odds. We believe that we can be careful enough. We can be slick enough. We can be cool enough. We can be good enough. After all, we're going to figure it all out. And Paul is saying, before I get to the good news, you've got to really embrace the bad news. Know your not. You're not going to beat it. There is no way to beat the odds. The creation, which is all of us and everything, is in bondage to decay. And yes, yes, you're going to have happy birthdays. And yes, you're going to have great vacations. And yes, your engagement is awesome. And hey, congratulations, you're happily married. And hey, you had your first child. Way to go. And there are some highlights. And there are some mountaintop Uh, experiences, and there are some incredible, inspiring God connections, and yeah, there's going to be fun, but even in the joy, the movement, the momentum, the ultimate drift is towards sin and towards death and decay. And we are in bondage to that kind of frustration. And verse 22 Um, I'm not going to read this one to you. Um, Verse 22 and verse 23, he says basically, this tension creates in us a longing for something better. And this tension creates in us the thought that there has to be more. This tension creates in us a desire to kind of look beyond this life and to say, is there ever a time, a space, a world where there's going to be a happily ever after? Is there a world where relationships could stay good? Is there a world where people just get along, and it forces us to look outside of this life. And so verse 24, I'm going to read this one. For in this hope, this hope that there's more to this life than just this life, this hope that one day, as he referred to earlier, that we won't always be in bondage to decay. For in this hope we, and now he's talking to Christians, we were saved. That when you became a Christian, you became linked to a bigger better story with a much better ending that goes beyond this life. That's the hope that we're saved into. And then in verse 25, and this is kind of the uh, transition point in his argument, but if we hope for, that is, God, God, there has got to be something else. There has got to be more. There's got to be something more than just this. There has to be a place where sin and sorrow and death is Erased. There has got to be a place where all the effects of sin are just done away with. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, here it is, we wait for it patiently. You know what that means? That means do not give up hope. But our hope is not in this world, and our hope can't be in this world. Life, because eventually that hope is always in some way, shape, or form disappointed because we live in a world that's in bondage to decay, that's full of frustration. So he says, Christian, don't give up. There's hope. Christian, you have something to look forward to. Christian, you have something to wait for patiently. Then in verse 26 through 30, I'm going to skip over these as well. He says, God understands your frustration. And God understands your disappointment. And God understands that your ladder falls every once in a while. And God understands that you were so hurt. And you were so disappointed sometimes that you just kind of groan on the inside. And he says that God so understands that, that, that his spirit prays for you. Prays for you with words that can't even be uttered. With groanings. And if you've ever been in the pit of despair, if you've ever hit rock bottom in terms of hopelessness, you know what it's like to lie on your bed or on your face and to just moan. Because there's nothing that can be done. And God says, I understand that. I understand the pointlessness that this world seems to offer sometimes. I understand that sense of isolation. I understand that. And then he turns a corner, skipping down to verse 31. What shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, well, what do you mean if God is for us? Well, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The point being as God becomes the focus of our hope, as as you center your relationship and your expectations on the love and in the love of the heavenly father, he says that is where hope does not, does not, does not disappoint. Skip down to verse 38. This is the big ending. The soundtrack is building and building and building. We're getting to the climax right here for I am convinced. He said, now this is Paul, and who, as you might recall, has been stoned, like getting hit with a lot of stones. He's been in prison. He's been left for dead. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been beaten. I mean, this guy that has experienced the worst the first century had to offer as a Christian. Verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, verse 39, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else, At that point, I can add in a fill-in-the-blank. Now, the divorce, or abandonment, or isolation, or job loss, or testing positive. When am I going to retire? The election going in the way that I don't want it to go. A new government mandate, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from, from what is it? What's the word? Come on, what's the word? Love. From the love of who? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, you want to put your hope in something secure? You want to put your hope in something that won't disappoint? You want to put your hope in something that you can go to every single time? He says, you got to move your ladder. And I don't care how educated you are or your family are. I mean, all that's great, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but if you want hope that remains faithful, if you want to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world, he says you've got to move your ladder and lean it against your heavenly Father. For only there will you find enduring help, enduring hope. Now, what does that mean for us in the meantime? It means that, yeah, you do your best. It means that you live it out. Let me just say it this way You live out kingdom values in a world where there aren't always a lot of happy ever afters, where there's not necessarily a lot of happy endings. It means that you love like crazy, but when you don't always get love back, you don't lose hope because your hope wasn't here to begin with. It means you serve like crazy. And when no one serves you back, you don't lose hope because your hope wasn't here to begin with. It means you forgive like crazy. And when people don't forgive you back or you don't get the benefit of forgiveness, you don't lose hope because you never placed your hope there anyway. Do you plan? Of course you plan. Do you have ambition? Of course you have ambition. Do you leverage your time, your treasure, and your talents? Of course you leverage your time, treasure, and your talents. Do you build things? Do you pursue progress? Do you save? Do you love? Do you engage culture? Do you engage with the world? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, you do all of that. But but do you place your hope in your hard work? Do you place your hope in the benefits of your ambition and your discipline? Do you place your hope in your education? Do you place your hope in any or all of those things? And Paul says, no. He says, Jesus says, and like Mother Teresa and like your faithful family members, you live as if, you live as, as, as. as if this is all there is. And you love people like crazy and, and, you, and you do your best and you, and you use your God-given talents and skills to accomplish everything that you can. But at the end of the day, you say, in spite of all that and along with all of that, my hope is in my heavenly Father. That's where I've leaned my ladder. That's where I've placed my hope. It means you go to bed at night and you say, God, God I thank you for this awesome day. It all went perfect, wrinkle-free, didn't even get any birdie poo-poo on my car. It's just the perfect day, but God, still, my hope is in you. And you go to bed at night and you say, God, this was a terrible day and nobody called me back and I'm, I'm just as jobless as I was yesterday and I see no prospects and I'm so disappointed and I'm just so lonely, but still, my hope is in you. I have placed my hope in your love for me. And when we loosen our grip from around our plans, our treasures, and our ambition, then our plans, our treasure, and our ambition loosen their grip from around our hearts. And when they loosen their grips from around our hearts, I'm able, we're able to move our ladder because I, if I loosen my hands from around all those things that I've placed my hope in, only then... Am I able to transfer my hope to the only person, to the only thing that can sustain my hope through good times and difficult times? May your unfailing love demonstrated that when Christ died on the cross for your sins, may your unfailing, you're not going anywhere, not going to budge, always going to be there. love. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Even as we move our ladder, And place our trust in you. So here's the deal whatever it is that you've placed your hope in will determine whether or not you're able to remain hopeful in a world where things are hopelessly broken. So, where are you leaning your ladder? Where have you placed your hope? What are you hoping for? And I'm not saying you don't have plans. I'm not saying you don't have dreams. I'm not saying you don't follow through and you do your best. But where is your hope? When you lay in bed at night and all is said and done and the music's off and you're staring up at that ceiling, where is your hope? What have you centered your expectations, where are they centered? If they are anywhere other than the relationship with God or God's love for you, it is misplaced hope. It is a hope that will, that will eventually in some way disappoint you because although we don't like to think about it, we live in a hopelessly broken world. We are the best at putting off the consequences of that, but eventually, eventually these walls always, always, always crumble. The only way to maintain hope in a hopeless, broken world is to place your hope in the unfailing love of God for you. The only way to maintain hope long-term is to move your ladder and to place your hope in the unfailing love of God for you. Love not demonstrated because somebody called you back and you got a date. Love not demonstrated in the fact that things went your way and you, you got the scholarship and Love not demonstrated in the fact that when your wife came home and she said, Honey, I realize you've been right the whole time. And uh, all all 20 years, you've been right. and, And I'm taking full responsibility. Not that kind of hope. He says, only when you place your hope in the unfailing love of God demonstrated in one place and in one specific moment in history when Jesus Christ allowed himself to be crucified for your sins which potentially sealed your eternity forever and you locked into a relationship with God that Paul says cannot be broken regardless of the economy regardless of what you do regardless of what other people do to you regardless of your health the only way The only way to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world is by placing your hope in the unfailing love of God. And it's my prayer for you and for all of us as we continue to face these uncertain times in an uncertain economy, in an uncertain world. My prayer is for you and for me and for my family, for my kids, for all of us that as the walls start shaking and as the ladder starts shaking, that you would be reminded that we weren't supposed to put our hope here anyway. Hopefully things get better. Hopefully things turn around. And hopefully we'll be a part of the solution. But in spite of what happens here, our hope can remain strong Because we have been invited to place our hope in God's unfailing love for us. That's how you remain faithful in a world. That's how you remain hopeful in a world that's hopelessly broken. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, that is just so much easier for me to talk about than for us to walk out and do. Father, I pray for the the man and the woman who maybe this week or maybe this morning, maybe this afternoon, received news that reflected the fact that their ladder is falling fast. That the the wall against which they have leaned their ladder of hope is is no more. Whether it's a marriage, a relationship, an engagement, a scholarship, an opportunity, a, a job that was promised that has now been taken away, a diagnosis whatever it is, Father, I pray that in this moment of free fall, in this season of free fall, that uh, they would find the courage to place their hope in you and that they would find joy and they would find peace and they would find the opportunity to put behind them their anxiety and to trust in you because your unfailing love has been established. It has been proven. Your unfailing love for us that is for every single day and that they would find the joy that comes with knowing that you love them unconditionally. And that all of this is, is, is just a transition and an opportunity to reaffirm your love for them. Father, I pray for the, for the single or the, the, the college student or the high school student. They, well, they have yet to manage one of these tensions. And like all of us, their, their ladder is leaning against the wrong things. Not, not intentionally. It's just the way we grew up. Father, I pray they would be able to avoid the heartache that comes with hopelessness and helplessness. And that somehow, even in their, as, as they begin to, to walk on this journey, they, be, they begin their journey of faith, that they would move their ladder and that ah, the theme of their life would be that God is my hope. God is my hope. God, my heavenly Father, is my hope father even as you shower over us with your unfailing love we choose we choose to place our hope in you please give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with that simple message and then the courage to do it in jesus name amen